You're listening to SM Media, the number one place for exclusive Scottish football content. Hi folks and welcome to the latest episode of the SM Media Scottish Football Show. I'm Scott McPike, it's an absolute pleasure to be your host as always. And I've got two two special guests this week with very different opinions on the weekend. One has went through the, the heartache of losing in a, a cup quarter final and the other one could potentially be on cloud nine tomorrow night or down in the dumps. We'll just see how it goes. But we do, we've got mixed feelings this weekend. It's a pleasure first of all to be joined by Graham Duthie. Graham, thanks for coming on mate, pleasure as always. Ah, thanks for having me on. I look forward to it, although not so much about the Celtic Hearts chat, but we'll get to that, I'm sure. We will get to that. And it's a pleasure to welcome Mitchell Fegans. Mitchell, it's a pleasure to have you back on. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, perfect. Thanks very much for having me back, Scott. And like like Graham said, I'm I'm very nervous for tomorrow. Very yeah, nervous. I can imagine so. Yeah, we'll get into that later on. We'll touch in the, the big game for AR. Obviously, a chance to get to the quarterfinals of the Cup. For the first time, I believe, in the Scottish Cup anyway, since 2002. Am I right there? Correct, yeah. Because I remember that game. I think it was against, was it, I remember them playing Celtic and Eddie Annan scored. Yeah, I think you're right, yeah. Yeah. I think you're right, I. Yeah, I've been to an an Airco Marmot League Cup semi-final. Yeah, I was that that at one point, I was about five or six, which was... I can't remember much about it. But. I remember being at that game and sitting right down at the front row of Hamden. Are you sat in the front row at Hamden? No. It's rubbish. You're as well sitting in your house in the telly watching it. It's, <laughs> it's rubbish. Graham, you ever sat in the front row at Hamden? No, but that for the Hearts, what was it, the Hearts Hib semi-final last season, we sat about five rows from the front. We didn't get the best of views. It was still a, don't get me wrong, it was still a great atmosphere and a great game, but yeah, we didn't really see a lot sitting like five rows from the front. Yeah, I can imagine. It's, I, Hamden, I could have a rant about Hamden and the, the poor view you get at the game, but that's maybe for another day. We are at the quarterfinal stage of the Scottish Cup. Three of the games have been played. One is obviously going to be played tomorrow night, Falkirk against there. We'll, we'll preview that later on. But we'll start on Friday night up in Inverness and a first division side against a, a premiership side. Usually you would think the Premiership side would get into that match as favourites. I fancied Inverness from the start. I just had a, a feeling about Inverness. Even when Comarmont went 1-0 up, I still felt Inverness had come back into the game. And Graham, that's the way it turned out. Comarmont took the lead through Kyle Fussell after three minutes. But as we see with Comarmont away this season, they, it's very difficult to fancy Comarmont away from home. And Inverness kind of raised their game. I thought they came to life a lot in the second half. Billy Mackay scored a penalty and then Welsh obviously scored and just held on really well, I thought. And I thought it was a case you would have probably thought Inverness were the Premiership team and Kilmarnock were the, the Championship team. I thought Inverness fully deserving of a victory and a brilliant achievement for the side to get into the semi-final. Yeah, my prediction before the game was 2-1 to Inverness. I just had that feeling all day that Inverness were going to win that game because I've seen Kilmarnock a few times and I know they've got a decent record against Hearts, but I generally think they're a very, very poor side. There is not enough about them that I think that they might even stay up. I think they could go down. And it was no surprise that Inverness won. Obviously, going to go down early on, decent finish for himself with a corner kick and stuff. But after that, I thought Inverness were excellent. I thought the game plan was fantastic. I thought they were aggressive. I thought they pressed 
Kelly all over the park. The penalty, it was a penalty. I know there was debate about whether it came off the defender's leg and onto his hands, but it didn't. It wasn't a penalty. Mackay gets slightly fortunate. He goes to the middle and Sam Walker just about keeps it out. But the ball's in the back of the net. That's all that matters. And after that, I thought Inverness were excellent. They were the far better team. And yeah, they did look like the premiership side. Second goal again, Sean Welsh is a good finish. But again, I think Sam Walker's got to do better there. It's, it's a decent shot, but it goes under him. He's got to do better. And I heard Derek uh, McInnes after the game saying that apologising to the fans because it wasn't acceptable. And he's right. Kilmarnock were very, very poor. Apart from Vassell, potentially Daniel Armstrong, there is not a lot of quality in that squad. I think they really, given the fact that late Lafferty goal was a massive shock, I think they've got very little up front. Defensively, I'm not overly impressed. I don't think they've got that much in midfield. I just think they're a very, very poor side. And Inverness... Thoroughly, thoroughly deserved that. Billy Dawes has done an absolutely brilliant job in Inverness. I think when he got the job, I wasn't sure, but he's done a great job. And after the game, he did say that now the focus has got to be trying to get into that playoff. There's every chance they could. They're a very, very strong side, especially at home. And thoroughly, thoroughly deserved to win that game. And, you know, they were the far better side all the way through that game. Mitchell, you look at obviously, from an Inverness perspective, they are obviously getting to a semi-final despite their league position. They've lived up to that as a free hit against a Premiership side. Kilmarnock, maybe the opposite. You would think they're poor away form. I think they've only picked up two points from 45. To then go into a semi-final and go 1-0 up and just completely kind of just drop off. I thought they just dropped off a cliff in the second half. There are concerns with Kilmarnock. I spoke to a couple of Kilmarnock fans to, uh, the past couple of days and they are kind of saying the same thing they've said all season, as Graves just pointed out there. The lack of quality up front is a real concern, but it's not just that as well. It's the, the giving away of cheap goals. And I thought with Kilmarnock coming up, I thought, right, they're going to... They've had that season. Derek McInnes has come in. He's done really well to take them up. They will build on that. I'd, I'd didn't have them down as relegation candidates this season, but you look at their squad... Graham mentioned it there about Kyle Lafferty. Danny Armstrong seems to me to be one of only maybe two. But I think the boy Vizella is actually quite a decent player, but you can't put the load on two players to keep you up. And I just worry for Kilmarnock. And it's a shame because I know a lot of Kilmarnock fans. and I know a people, a couple of people at the club. I know how much getting relegated hurt them. But I do not see them improving because they just have a total lack of quality in that squad. Yeah, definitely, Scott. Um, I mean, I was the same as you in terms of I thought after their season in the championship last year, obviously they just narrowly tipped their road to that title with that uh, famous goal at Alston squad at Rugby Park um, for them. And I definitely think thought at the time, like that's the only time they're going to be down there. They're not going to go down there again for a good number of years. Like you said, McInnes, experienced manager, worked wonders at, at Aberdeen. And, and you're just thinking, with him at the helm, there's no way they're going to be down, down there. You'd stay them away, clear. You'd, Getting mid table at least, you know, that's what I thought going into the season. But I think I've been proved totally totally wrong, like you say. It's just I don't see I don't see any way that, that they're not gonna be down there fighting for the lives come the end of the season. I don't see anything really changing. I think the sign for me that sums up Kawanat's season is the sign of Doige and Lone. I think he's been absolutely terrible, to be quite frank. He's done nothing really. Obviously, Graham's playing a little chuckle there because he's alone from Hibbs. Um but no, I don't think the signing of Lloyd for me was a, was a real, real strange one. And like you say, the Lafferty situation just came out of nowhere. Um, I think that's affected them as well because it was only, what, a week previously when Lafferty was apparently 
chomping at the bit to get into that starting eleven against Celtic in the semi final, and then he's out the door the next week. Graham, we Inverness being in the position they're in, obviously in the league that to have a to have a position to be in a cup semi final, which it gives you a, gives you a lot of encouragement going ahead. Obviously, they're they're wanting to get that last playoff place, and maybe they, they might get it, they might not. They're not in the best position, but to be in a cup semi final is something that will carry them forward for the rest of the season. Hundred percent. I mean, cup football gives you a break from the league. You know, it doesn't matter how badly you're doing in the league, whether you're bottom or not. You can you can have a good cup run. And Inverness have done that. You know, it's set them up really nicely for it. Again, I think Billy Dawes has done a wonderful job at Inverness. I know he spoke earlier on the season about the fact that they've got a lot of injuries, but they're coming through that just now. And there's every chance they could get the playoff place, which would be incredible. I think I've said previously that I think Inverness are a Premier League side. I'd love to see them coming back up. And for them to be in a semi-final, and you know, you could potentially tomorrow draw Air United or Falkirk and you could maybe be in a final which would be absolutely fantastic and as well you've got to look at the job that John Robertson had done John Robertson had done a great job before that as well obviously know about the the issues and that that he's had Billy Dodds came in difficult time difficult job and I think Dodds has done a great job to win that game on Friday and as I said they thoroughly deserved it they were excellent against a a very poor Kermanic side but to be in the draw tomorrow they can look forward to that and they can now try and build on that and try and get that playoff place, which would be a fantastic season for them if it's not already. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, obviously the draw on Monday night, I would imagine they'll be wanting the, the winners of Falkirk in there because why would you not? You don't want to play Celtic Rangers up until the final. And again, it would be, be good to see. I, I would rather prefer actually one of the one of the two teams for Rangers or Celtic to play a, a lower league team. That would be brilliant for the game. Let's move into the game at Tynecastle. Mitchell, I'll start with you here. Hearts now Celtic 3. Celtic scored after only two minutes. Again, what we talk about with Celtic so often is that fast start. It just sets them off so well. And they were, I thought they were really good, particularly in midfield. We'll get Graham's thoughts later on talking about Hearts. But Celtic, again, there's this really consistent run and they're getting closer. I mean, they've got a really good chance of a treble. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Scott Ange Postecoglou once again working, working wonders at Celtic. And like you mentioned, fast start came out of traps really, really quickly. And it's a great finish from Aaron Moy, who mm-hmm. a player who at the start of the season was looking a bit like a bit of a Aaron Ramsey type saying, if you like, if I could go there. Um, wasn't really getting minutes, wasn't really contributing at all. And then this second half of the season, especially kind of since the World Cup, he's been phenomenal. Um, in that midfield, you had the Celtic fans yesterday. Uh, singing his name and just shows how much they appreciate him as a player. Um, as for Hearts, it just shows for me the golf and quality from Hearts, the kind of third best team in, in the league up to the, the old firm, especially Celtic. Um, and that's a big golf that's going to be very hard to fill, in, in, in my opinion. Um, so Robin Nielsen's definitely got his work out, work out there. Um, another player I want to mention, Alistair Johnson, I think he's been a brilliant, brilliant sign and obviously got that assist for the Kyogo goal yesterday, great ball in and Kyogo just his movement's phenomenal. Um and that and that finish, that awareness, you know, facing away from goal, just to flick it in the corner past Xander Clark and he couldn't do anything about it. So yeah, Brighton Brighton result for Celtic and a a real statement of intent. Graham, I want to address something with you here and I'm I'm keen to get your thoughts on this because I I do we've spoken about this before. I think Robbie Nielsen gets gets a bit tight sometimes, particularly when he comes up against Rangers and Celtic for his the way he maybe approaches a game. 
but when you've you've went out on Wednesday night, right, and not been able to handle Celtic's midfield press, which is what I think if you, if you can handle the Celtic midfield press, I think you've got a big chance to to give Celtic a game. You then kind of set up the same way as you did on Wednesday night, and then on Saturday lose a goal after two minutes, and there whatever game plan he had was out the window. You have to question what that was all about to me because Celtic's midfield, I thought, were just so just toying with hearts at times, particularly kind of Halliday and Grant. I just felt Grant in particular, I think, is real a real danger in terms of like getting that press, helping kind of build that press, the counter presses we talk about, and they just couldn't do it because you lose that early goal, and the shapes totally change. You have to change your shape because you're chasing the game after so so early on. I could very easily go on a long run here, but I'm going to try not to. But when that team lineup came out yeah, on Saturday and there was no Shankland, no Snodgrass, you didn't have Stephen Humphreys, you've got Devlin on the bench, you've got Cochrane on the bench. Like most Hearts fans, I thought, we're not winning this game. Mm-hmm. Now, at Tynecastle, and this isn't just against Celtic Rangers, but against everybody, I want Hearts to be aggressive. I want us to play with a full play quickly, move the ball quickly. Yesterday, that never happened. And the tempo was set after 35 seconds when Hatati has that shot. It's a great save for Xander Clark, and the tempo yeah. was set. Now, Celtic, yeah. when Celtic when they're at it, can beat anyone. I've got no issue with that. But the way we played yesterday, basically our game plan seemed to be to get the ball over the top to Ginelli and hope that he did something. And he was plowing pretty much alone thorough up front. That midfield didn't work at all. I generally don't think in games against Celtic and against Rangers, actually, you can't play Barry McKay and Andy Halliday because they yes. just don't turn up. Barry McKay yesterday was absolutely shocking, but he lasted far, far too long. And again, the goals we conceded, that first goal, I've been a massive fan of Carroll's this season, but what he is doing, pressing up on halfway, I have no idea. He leaves a massive gap in behind. Jota, great play, good ball in, and a good finish from Adam Moy. Second goal, Stephen Kingsley. You have to stop that cross coming in. He doesn't stop the cross. It's a great finish from Kyogo. Great run to the front post. But again, there's five Hearts defenders and only Kyogo in the box. And Kyogo wins that. Not acceptable. And then the third goal is even worse. You're giving Cameron Carter-Vickers a free header. It's unacceptable. And I do think that Robbie gets a lot of criticism. And sometimes I understand it. But when the players go on that pitch, it's up to them to put in a performance and too many of them yesterday did not do that and it's so easy for folk again I saw it last night again Robbie out Robbie's got to go Robbie's doing a, a good job he's finishing third I would say if he doesn't finish third this season then probably questions do need to be asked but our games against Celtic and Rangers next season has to change there's got to be a change in mentality there's got to be a change in mindset because I think too often we go to these games thinking they're better than us. We can't win this. But you've got to win your battles all over the pitch. And yesterday, we did nowhere near enough of that. Do you think that's it, though, as well? Like, that's kind of where I was kind of leaning towards. Like, with Hearts, like, I watched them against Rangers a few weeks ago at Tynecastle. Rangers were... I mean, how many times did Rangers get in, like, the offside trap, for example? If it wasn't for the offside, Rangers could have had seven goals easily. Wednesday night, I thought Celtic strolled the game. I, I just thought if Celtic wanted more, they'd have got more. And I kind of want as well with Hearts say that, like, is it more a case of are Hearts fans just happy finishing third? Is Robbie Nielsen happy just finishing third? And when Rangers and Celtic come, or even, because I don't think if Rangers, if 
Hearts picked up a point against Celtic Rangers this season? I don't think they have. No, we were uh, we had that we had that four three defeat to Celtic on the season that we actually did quite well on, yeah. and we've never hit that level again. I mean, I think for me, it's just full of idiots to be honest. But I know some of the points to make, and I do think for me, finishing thirds, yeah, it has to be the the priority. I would like to aim higher. Every fan does; they want to aim higher. But you're up against a, a very strong Celtic side. You're up against a Rangers side who will strengthen again in the summer. I don't think you can judge Michael Beale on this season, but there's every chance he'd win a cup. For me, I think, yeah, we have to finish third every season. Now, yeah, if we sign quality players in the summer that might help us push on, then fair enough, but I don't think that's going to happen. I think Robin Nielsen is the right guy, but as I say, if he doesn't finish the season, then the questions have to we asked, but at the moment, I'm happy with what he's done. But these performances against Celtic and Rangers, third best team in Scotland, and yet we put in performances like yesterday, which just says maybe we're not. Mm-hmm. Matt Owen, and you want to add about Hearts potentially about for that? Because you look at that Hearts side and the quality, and I mean, you've got the likes of Barry Mackay, Stephen Kingsley. I think I really like uh, George Grant. I think he's a really good player. You've got that's that's the players missing as well. It's not Grass and Shankland. Hearts do have quality. But are they just so far behind Celtic that it's this is what you expect with Celtic when they go to Hearts? But it shouldn't yeah, be the I mean, case. You should always you should always expect Celtic to struggle at Tynecastle. Yeah, I think like Graham said, from a fan's point of view, it'll be disappointing to see him get turned over so easily and not really putting up a fight almost. From what I can sense, um, in terms of Barry McKay, I I'd agree with you in the sense that he doesn't turn up enough for me. Um, obviously he would do he'd do okay in the odd game, but his consistency has got to improve. Um, especially in the bigger games, he's got to have more of an impact. We all know he's got the quality there from his days at his days at Rangers. Obviously, that goal he scored in the cup final against Celtic all those years ago, cup semi final rather. Um, and he's shown it. He's shown it previously. He's shown it in, in other games this season that are of less importance. But in the in the big games, like Graham said, he's just not really turned up for me. Um, and I think that's like like Graham said in terms of Robbie Nielsen, he, he can't do anything if the players don't turn up. The players have, have got to turn up, work as a team, fight for every ball, win their individual battles across the park. And if they don't do that against an extremely good Celtic side who, like Graham said, can turn MD over in the league, then you're done for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that as well. Graham, would you agree with that? I mean, 100%. I think. For me, I know a lot of folks talk about budgets and yes, Celtic Green is a bigger budgets, but I think when it's a one-off game, especially a cup game like yesterday, you have to go in your battles. I mean, the fans were up for it yesterday. Right from the start, we had the Golgi Ultras, which was great, but the players yesterday just didn't do enough. And again, I think I've been a bit of a critic of George Grant recently, but to be fair, he's done well recently in the last couple of games. He's the only one that really tries to tries to make something happen. But in terms of Barry Mackay, like... He turned up against St. Johnson a few weeks ago. That's the game that he turns up in. Against Celtic and Rangers, he doesn't turn up. Now, against Aberdeen on Saturday, he might turn up. But you can't have that. You can't have your big players turning up whenever whenever they feel like it. They have to do it every week. And I think as well, the one thing about Barry McKay, on the ball, he's great. He's fantastic. He can provide something. Off the ball, he's brutal. He doesn't track back. He doesn't put tackles in. I know that's not his game. But you need your players to work hard. I and mean, when you're watching Barry McKay putting a performance like yesterday, where he's just walking about the pitch, not really interested, he's shooting me 
But yet again, there's some players that seem to get away with performance and play every week. That's not what I want to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's that's where kind of hearts are hearts are at. Obviously, like I I would worry with hearts in particular. I think going three at the back against Celtic is just asking for a disaster. Like I really think that because you're you saw a class example, how much space was Jota getting into? Michael Smith, he couldn't handle both Jota and uh, Johnson coming up against him. Jota and Johnson were switching switching play and just getting right through him. And I don't think Michael Smith's a bad bad guy, but when you're setting up that way, you're just asking for a problem. And that's kind of where that game ended up. Well, with the game today, obviously, Ibrox Rangers 3, Wraith Rovers now. It's probably what's happened after the game that's caused a, a bit more intrigue than the game, actually, Graham, because it was probably one of the most boring 3-0 victories I've ever watched in my life. Rangers were just steady. There is always never in doubt. I think there's a lot of questions to come about where Rangers go next season because I saw a lot of, like, when Rangers are going up against a team where with 10 men behind the ball, and Wraith, that's the only thing Wraith can do. I don't have an issue with, with Wraith playing that way. But Rangers, just at times, it was just so slow, nothing was happening. I think it kind of exposed the likes of Cholak and Sakala, like when they're up against a, a tight defence, they really don't have much. If they, if, unless it's on a plate for them, they really don't get much going. Yeah, I was actually thinking that during the first half. But you watch Celtic and they move the ball quickly. It's like two touch mm. and they're quick. Rangers just didn't really play with that kind of tempo today. They dominated the game, I should expect, but there wasn't really a lot of creativity. I mean, to be honest, I would have loved to see what would have happened if Wraith had scored that goal with Gonzalez's shot because that was yeah. a brilliant effort. Yeah. But that was about all that Wraith could muster in the whole game. But Rangers were... Rangers were very slow. I mean, the first goal was going to be crucial. We get it. I think Ian Murray was disappointed to be the worst that first goal from a set piece. Good header by Conor Goldson. Really good header. And then you're expecting the floodgates to open and maybe four, five, six, but it didn't really happen. You know, the second goal, I don't know what Ryan Nolan's doing. The third goal, really good play by Tom Cow- Todd Cantwell, who I really like. He's mm. a sales good at Arfield, and Arfield does what he does. He scores goals. But Rangers were very, they were just very laboured at times. And you could tell that the Rangers fans were getting a bit impatient. Yeah, it was only really noise. It was only really noise that came through the game. You know, you know, hope the Wraith Rovers were expecting a, a procession that yeah. it didn't happen. Yeah, it was just it was just very, very slow and laboured. And if you look at the line against Partick, Rangers didn't play well in that given that Rangers team, I think, are good players. Like Ryan Kent, I've always been a massive fan of, but mm. at times he does flatter to the seed. But you're right, it was, you know, even watching that game as a neutral, it was very boring. But Wraith did they did what they could, but it was always going to be a, a comfortable win for Rangers, but it just was, it was just very laboured. Yeah, it was laboured. I think that's the perfect word for it. Rangers were, it was fairly routine. There wasn't much of a spark, Mitchell. Going forward by Rangers, and like, you look at the team, I know like Yilmaz and Suter come on, you can see Hadji on as well. There are players coming back from injury, but that does open up the fact that Rangers do need to start addressing the squad for the summer. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, it was really interesting, actually, to listen to Michael Beale's interview after that one today. Um, he spoke pretty openly in terms of how he wants to bring a couple of extra additions in and how summer's going to be a very interesting interesting period. He spoke about how he's publicly said that he, he'd like Ryan Jack to stay. Um, he thinks he's a really influential player. 
And then he actually got questioned about Morelos because there had been rumours of him signing a pre-contract with, I think it was Sevilla, yeah. uh, during midweek. And um, I think Michael Bill said something along the lines that he, he wants to see more from Morelos in the third final third and just kind of day in, day out. Which is kind of, I think I've read a couple of the replies on, on social media and stuff. That's kind of sparked kind of conversation. Is Morelos just not, is his head not in it? Is he just not willing to, to put the work in and and played the end day out because I thought Cholak and Sakala midweek were brilliant against Hibs yeah. and that was a big decision from Beal to drop drop Morelos who's obviously got I think it was something like seven goal contributions in his last couple of games or something like that mm-hmm. um, so it was a big decision for Beal to, to drop him and play Cholak and Sakala but it proved to be proved to be the right one I'll tell you Yeah I think that's the thing with, with Cholak today I think you saw the, the best and the worst of him I think at times he gets himself in really good positions and I think he's the best finisher but he doesn't do that Morelos job at times I think when, when Rangers when you're up against 11 what men behind the ball at like that Rangers do need a striker like Morelos who's busted who can get can get space things like that up against a defender Cholak isn't really good at that he's had to learn it so I think that's I, I don't expect Morelos to sign a new deal I think Jack will I think Kent will but Morelos, I think, has gone. I think the severe, maybe if it's severe, if it's not, I think he's gone in the summer. Graham, probably the the talk during the match and after the match has probably not been the on-field stuff. It has been, obviously, the situation with the, the protests at the ground. I don't know if you've, any of you have seen it. I'm kind of just going with what's been told to me is that the Union Bears had a banner that was meant to be not very kind to the Rangers sporting director, Ross Wilson. Uh, it was confiscated before the game. Ranger, uh, the Union Bears uh, didn't go into the ground and they refused to go in. And basically it's just been confirmed that the Rangers board, or whoever made the decision, the Rangers board did not want any protests up towards uh, the sporting director. Graham, this is bordering on potentially a a real lose-lose situation for Rangers at the moment because I think we all know that I don't think Ross Wilson is very popular with the support at the moment. But this, this to me is bordering on with the board losing the fan base because we're going to go talk a wee bit about free speech later if it's in the media, which I think has been kind of clarified this week with the whole situation with the BBC. But you can't then stop your... You can't then... A few years ago, allow your allow your fans a a banner criticizing the police and criticizing certain politicians in this country, and then when it's directed at your own, at the director's box, you can't then refuse that. That to me is bordering on. Don't insult us, insult anybody else, but don't insult us. Now that to me, that doesn't last very long, Graham. We're bored because a board can't do that to support. Now I'm not saying. I'm not saying the Union Bears are totally 100% in the right here, but you can't deny them the opportunity to express. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a difficult situation, but, you know, the fans of the lifeblood of the club, they put the money in. If they want to protest, then it's up to them. But there's been a few banners recently as well. I think it was after the, the Rangers Park Thistle game where Michael Beale gave Partick that goal. The Rangers fans were not happy and obviously made a statement with those banners. You know, if fans want to protest, then that's fine. I know there's certain ways to do it if they're aiming... If they're aiming horrible abuse to Ross Wilson, then that's not great. But do you know what? Fans have got a have got a right to free speech, as we all know. And it is a very dangerous president they're setting. You know, these fans pay their money. They go to the games. 
if they want to protest, that's up to them. But it is a very dangerous situation. I, obviously, I'm not a Rangers fan. I don't know what the issue is with Ross Wilson, why a lot of fans don't like him. But I think the Union Bears have got a right to, I've got a right to, free, you know, there is a, I'm honestly, I honestly am still not sure as well about if a lot of Rangers fans at the moment are still behind Michael Beal. I sometimes think there's a bit of a, still not convinced by him. And after waiting his part of this, when he let part of this will have that goal, sometimes when I hear Michael Beal talking in the media, I kind of think, I'm not sure he's be saying that kind of thing. So, there are maybe a few problems off the pitch at Rangers. And I do kind of feel sorry for Ross Wilson in a way because he's obviously trying to do, he also to do a job. But going against your fan, never a good idea because the fans are like other the club. That's the thing. That's the thing I'm kind of, I'm kind of leaning towards here. I, I probably know about that situation compared to used to, but I think Ross Wilson is in a, is in a difficult position because I can you could he's he's not he's like anybody when if you're in your job and things aren't going right you're not setting out to do that that's it's just the way the the pennies fall and now I think the later statement that Michael Beale made I would address more Michael Beale was asked about the contract situation regarding can out of contract players like Morelos Kent and Jack and Michael Beale said I don't have the quote I don't have it quote for quote but what he said was is that nobody has been spoke to regarding new contracts. It's the middle of March. Now, if, if there's been no di- dialogue over new contracts, then that is a failure on the director of football. That that has to be addressed because you either keep your asset and try and get money for them in January. What you don't do is just let it go on and on and let them talk to other clubs. You try and get them tied down. You don't do it. This to me looks like and I've spoken about this to a lot of people. Ryan Kent was bought for seven and a half million pounds. That was the biggest outlay Rangers had made since two thousand and three. Any club in Scottish football spending that kind of money have to make a profit on that player. Now it doesn't matter if that player turns out to maybe not be good enough. Ryan Kent, yes, he has his critics. I'm probably up there with one of the biggest critics of him at times. But you should not be letting Ryan Kent get down to two months in his contract. You should not be turning down how many million pounds worth of bids for Alfredo Morelos and leaving him go potentially for nothing. Mitchell, that's where Ross Wilson, that's where the issue I have with Ross Wilson is. That, to me, is bad, bad forward planning. And that's, unfortunately, is where I agree with the Union Bears and many Rangers fans in this position. The buck stops with the director of football. That ma- that's not a manager decision. The manager's not. You're bringing in a director of football to stop the manager getting all the, the criticism for transfer decisions. You can't let... If Ryan Kent goes for nothing to a, a Bundesliga club, for example, and then the Bundesliga club, two years' time, sell him for £15 million, that will be an absolute disaster for a Rangers perspective. If Rangers let Ryan Kent go for nothing, that will be a shambles, and the Rangers board deserve 100% of the blame for that. Yeah, totally, Scott. I mean, the whole thing with Morelos and Kent, like you've just kind of touched on there with the transfer fees and, and the potential uh, offers that they've turned down, especially for Morelos. I remember a couple of summers ago, that kind of season where he had that great spell in the Europa League, early kind of rounds of that. I think Newcastle were in for him for, I heard rumours of 20 million, mm-hmm. 15, 20 million pound offers coming in from not just Newcastle, but other, other clubs around the world that are fairly big clubs. Um, and you think 
why have you not taken that? Because they've, like you say, they've let him go down to two months left in his contract. If they sign him on a new deal now, it's almost going to look like they're just signing him to try and get money. So teams aren't going to aren't going to put the same money in as they were when they had two years left in his deal and was high flying. He's not exactly that high flying player anymore that he was uh, two years ago. People have, have criticised his, his fitness. Is he, is he fit enough to play? 90 minutes, is he as quick as he is, as sharp as what he was? There's no doubt he can certainly put the ball in the back of the net and he's a good striker, but now two months left in his contract, lacking fitness, it's just, like you say, it's a real messy situation for the Rangers board, especially if, like you say, a situation like Kent going to a Bundesliga club, performing really well and then getting sold for 15, 20 million season after, a couple of seasons afterwards, that would look really, really bad on on the Rangers board and it's a it's the same thing historically with Rangers spending big money on players and end up making no profit from them and that's that's how all all their troubles started and if you're a fan you're looking on you're thinking yeah this can't be happening again we can't be affording to lose multi-million pounds on on, on players who just aren't producing Graham before we can I move on to uh, there's one more point I want to make about the the Rangers situation like today's a, a classic example of the board are in a tough spot because the board obviously want don't want the the fan don't want it to look as if the fans are protesting against them. But they are. You look at social media, you look at anything Rangers put out, it's not positive. Rangers the Rangers fans are getting to and the Rangers fans are getting to a stage where they're fed up. They're looking at the, the wage bill. The wage bill at the moment's a lot higher than Celtics has. Celtic have beat them in a cup final. Celtic are nine points ahead of them in the league. You can't have an outlay like that, like a wage bill, and then be so far behind Celtic. When when 18 months ago, you've been in a position where Rangers were clear of Celtic. Rangers were ahead of Celtic. Celtic were in the process of a rebuild. Rangers are now playing catch-up already to a Celtic team that have rebuilt. That stops when you're bored. Yeah, it does. You guys made a lot of good points about like Morelos and Kent and stuff, and it would be an disaster if Ryan Kent was to leave for nothing and Morelos as well and I think Rangers probably should have cashed in a long time ago Morelos there was so many times that teams were come in for him Rangers do have a very good squad there's no doubt they've got a very good squad is it are, are furious and they you know they should be Rangers want to be winning titles they want to be winning cuts they were in that same in that final against Celtic I thought in spells maybe in the second half after they scored they had a chance to really get back in that game, but it wasn't enough. Rangers should be up their chance in Celtic. They should be competing with Celtic. They could potentially win the Scottish Cup this season. I don't know if they will, but they could potentially win the Cup. And, you know, some of the things they've made maybe haven't worked out. I was actually, and I hate saying this as a Hearts fan, I was actually quite happy to see John Suter back on the pitch today because I like John Suter, but he's he, that guy's just never fit. But that's the problem. No, there's, there's, a, the there's a good though. point. We'll get that but there's a good point. You're a hearts. You're a hearts fan. If you're a director of football, are you are you by are you taking John Suter? Probably not. No, just because of his injury record. I think you know, that's the a, problem. There's no debate. He's a very good player. But he's. It's just. I was genuinely surprised when Rangers signed him because I thought he's not going to be fit. Yeah. So let's move on to talking about the the other. Yeah, quarterfinal was coming up. Falkirk play air on Monday night. Mitchell, are the nerves reaching fever pitch? 
yes, that's an understatement, Scott. Um, I'm extremely nervous for this game, just for the fact that we're within touch and distance of being in a position that we've not been in for, for so many years. I think apart from that League Cup semi-final when I was a very young young kid going up to Hamden with my dad, I mean, I've ne- we've never been this close to, to having the chance to have a day at Hamden to watch to watch United. Um, so, yes, very nervous. Um, I think the fact that it's against Falkirk, who obviously on paper lead below, still a very good side, but most definitely a very winnable tie. I think that adds to the nerves and, and the pressure because ultimately there'll be people that will look at the, the leagues and be like, oh, United are division above in the playoffs spots, Falkirk second in the league and league below, they'll be like, okay, United should be should be winning this considering the the league. But don't get me wrong, Falkirk are a very good side, very good attacking attacking players. Like uh, Craig McGuffey's really come onto a game recently. He came through the United youth system and I really liked him yeah, as a player at air, I think. Yeah. Um the only thing that let him down was his consistency sometimes. I think like Graham mentioned with Barry McHale on, it was similar as if he played really well one game and maybe not do so well in the next. But it's nice to see him doing well. Obviously, I hope uh, for air's sake he doesn't do too well on, on Monday night. But listen, very big game and ultimately, yes, extremely nervous. Graham, you're the neutral one here. I'm I'm very much a, an air boy. I want air to get to the semi-final. What's your thoughts? Are you giving air a chance? Or is it Falkirk? 100% giving air a chance, huh? I think they're. Uh, I've seen them a few times. They're a very good side. I think that I can yell out front. I generally think, and I hate to say this to Mitchell, but I generally think Akinyemi is far, far too good for that league. I wouldn't be surprised if he maybe steps up a league next season. But he could be a massive threat tomorrow. And what a chance for Air to get to a semi-final. And as I said, potentially if the draw was tied, maybe get Inverness and have a great chance of getting to the final. But it would be a fantastic story if they did. I know that. They were very, very fortunate to get past Elgin in the last round. They were a minute away from going out. So to be in the quarterfinal with a chance to make it to the semis is brilliant. But I, I am honestly, I think Air have got a very good chance to beat Falkirk a couple of were very poor. In a decent league season, don't get me wrong. They are right up there challenging. But I just have a sneaky feeling that Air United are going to be, they'll be up for this. And I just generally think I fancy Air to do this and be in the semifinals, which would be absolutely incredible if they were. Mitchell, with Air, Air do win. Do you want Inverness? You see, this is a very tough, tough question. Obviously, you could look at it and say it's a very, very winnable tie. Um, Inverness have been a bogey team for a number of years now. Kind of amongst fans, that's what everybody would say to you. Um, although again, very winnable if you look at it that way. But also, you could look at the 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 negative side of that and think that of the embarrassment if you were to lose in the semis against Inverness and and perhaps not get the gate gate receipts and the gate money that you'd receive from playing a Celtic or a, or a Rangers at a packed out Hamden Park rather than playing Inverness where the stadium would probably be realistically half full or mm-hmm. or less, you know. So there's pros and cons to both sides. Um I'd honestly I also would take like a an old firm side in the semi and just take the money. Um but also there is that part of me that just thinks imagine seeing Air get into a Scottish Cup final in my lifetime, you know, that'd be just something something just spectacular for, for an A fan, you know, growing up like Miley used to support and there we went always the, the greatest of sides, you know, we'd always be kind of struggling in the championship or I mean, the worst worst season we've had was we almost went down to the third division a couple of years ago. Ian McCall thankfully came in and saved us, which I'll always be grateful for 
Um, Ian McCall was a lot of bad, bad press from their fans, but I'll always be grateful for the way he, he saved us and took us back up and built the foundations that Lee Bilbon's now taking over and, and really, really pushing us forward. So, yeah, like you say, there's pros and cons to both sides, but I suppose I would take Inverness in the semi because it's a winnable tie. Yeah, absolutely. It'll be interesting to see how that game goes. Obviously, it uh, goes ahead Monday night. Uh, we'll just run through the results in the Championship, League 1 and League 2. The, the Scottish Cup and the snow had a wee bit of an effect in these games. Morton 0, Partick Thistle 0 in the Championship. League 1, Airdrie 6, Kelty Hearts 1, Clyde 1, Queen of the South 1, FC Edinburgh 0, Allo Athletic 2. League 2, Arran 4, Elgin 1, Stenhouse Muir 1, East 5 2, and Stirling 2, Bonnie Rose 1. We are going to talk, we're going to have a wee, talk about a wee subject that's been catching the news over the past few days to wrap, just before we wrap up the show. If you've been living under a rock in Scottish football, you'll have maybe not have heard about the chat regarding a potential SFA Conference League now. We spoke about it a lot in the past, this potential chat about getting the B teams in. Graham, we know basically, we know the basically the structure this is going to be if it goes ahead, which is very likely to go ahead, I think. And you from a big club perspective like Hearts, who obviously want this to want the B team in this kind of league. Are you for it or or are you against it? I can see the I can see the the points in it, but I I am generally a fan of. I used to love the reserve league. I would also love to bring the reserve league back. I know it's not going to happen anymore. But I mean, the Hearts B team haven't been doing that great to be honest. I can see the I can see kind of the pros and cons of it. But I know I've seen a lot of folk on Twitter and stuff saying, "Oh, it's a bad idea." And again, I do get that. But you know, is it going to benefit anybody really? Is it going to benefit the big clubs? I'm not sure. I'm just. I'm kind of really undecided about it, to be honest. I'm really not sure if, I, if I'm for it or against it, but, you know, the Hearts B team, Stephen Naismith is doing an okay job, but I I would honestly love, and I've said this numerous times, I would love to see the reserve league brought back, because I think, for me, when I was growing up, that was brilliant. You know, you used to see the, the younger guys and the players that were injured coming back, and it was great, and you got some really good games. Is the B league really helping anybody? I'm not convinced. See, when you're touching on the B-League, I've been an advocate of that for years. I remember going to a Kilmarnock versus Rangers game about 15 years ago and a friend of the show, Rory Loy, was playing for Kilmarnock and he was playing alongside, I think Chris Boyd was playing, Craig Gargo was playing for Kilmarnock. It was like, because it used to be your guys that didn't play in midweek in the weekend for the first team would play in the reserve game. You would then have players yeah. coming back for injury and then you would have the best players probably from the, from the youth team. So you'd have a really good team the Rangers team was Brahim Hamdani was playing Ian Murray, obviously, uh, like players like that. That that must be positive for a for a youth player to play with. I don't see this thing of playing with the same guys you played with since you were eight year old to then play with them up until you're twenty one. And if you get into the first team, brilliant. If you don't get into the first team, then you go out and moan. Do you know what I mean? It's there must be a that that's to me is Scott a classic example of the big legs at Scottish football overcomplicating an easy solution, whereas either you get the reserve league back or you start the B teams at the bottom of the pyramid and make them work their way up to a certain point. It shouldn't be this fast track thing because I don't I don't believe this thing of like relegating. I don't think they're relegating two hundred and twenty teams. I don't think that's what's happening. 
I think it's more a case of just trying to get the B teams in and not really worrying about anything else because that's the only way. You won't get... The SPFL teams won't vote for B teams to get into the SPFL. So that won't happen. That's not going to happen. The only way the B teams get into the Lowland League was paying the Lowland League. That's not That won't happen forever. That'll get to a point where Rangers sell to Hearts. Aberdeen will obviously want to get in as well. Has the B team been thing? Has the Lowland League been beneficial to Hearts B, Graham? To be honest, no. Um, I've seen a few. I've seen a few games. Listen, the, the level is very. The standard isn't particularly great, and I kind of. This is why I would love to see the reserve team brought back. I really would because I think it would give a really good chance for some of these lads to play with better players and have that have that kind of step up. I don't think they're getting that in this league. And there's a couple of decent players in the team. I think Bobby McClucky, I really quite mm-hmm. like. He's a decent player. Boy Sanders a good player I, as well. Yeah, there is a, there are some decent players in there, but I, it's not like they're ever. And this is something again that I spoke about this about Craig Levine and Robin Nielsen as well that they don't promote youth. They only promote youth if there's nobody else left on the bench. Yeah, exactly. Well, yesterday we only had we only had seven players on that bench yesterday. We couldn't even fill the bench. Now, why not have like a Bobby McClucky or somebody on the bench for experience? But he doesn't do it. And that's the issue. I think a lot of these teams now, like first teams, they don't promote youth because there's too much at stake. And I don't agree with that. I generally would. And I think we let Connor Smith go to uh, Hamilton, which is a bad idea because I was a massive, massive fan of Connor Smith. I was a massive fan of Finlay Pollock. We let these guys go on loan. Don't give them any chance to play in the first team. And that, for me, is not good. That's a, a detriment to them, and I'm not a fan of that at all. Mitchell, what's your thoughts on it? I mean, like Graham said, I'm pretty baffled by it all, to be honest. I, I don't really know what side what side to take. What I would say about, about youth development is I think the fact that United are playing reserve games regularly now, and like like Graham said, that some of the big clubs are failing to do that the first-team players that aren't playing or just coming back from an injury or illness that need to build up their fitness, they'll play in the in their reserve game. And it's proved, proved vital for our players who maybe aren't getting a start every week to come in and have an instant impact. You know, if you don't have them reserve games, I think one player spoke about it midweek during an interview that they said that if you don't have them reserve games, you're not going to be ready to come on. You're not going to be fresh. You're going to maybe take an extra five, ten minutes to get into the game and get up to the tempo and try and make an impact. So I think it's very important that for for even the bigger clubs like like Graham said, to get the, the injured or the fringe first team players playing with the kids on a regular basis against similar opposition. Um I think yeah, the own league for me, uh, like Graham said, I've seen a couple of games and I just don't think it's a brilliant standard, to be honest. You've got the odd decent decent team, decent couple of boys, but I don't think it's gonna develop uh, the bigger clubs, youth players moving forward. One thing I would say about the United Academy is we've been very good at giving youth a chance. You know, this season we've had young Ollie Eckerbon, who's only just turned 16 on the bench. We've also had Finn Eckerbon, his older brother, who's a moment from now, but he was thrown on the bench at 16. We had Dylan Watrett, 17 years old, Scott Tomlinson, 17 years old. So, and that's in some of the, the bigger games, you know, against like the Partick Thistle and Wraith Rovers, etc., etc. So, it's not as if we're, we're shying away from it, which is a good thing, but like Graham said, there's too many, too many clubs that are scared of what they almost think the worst, I think, which is the wrong way to look at it, in my opinion. I look at this very different 
than that. I I see both sides of the argument. I know I speak to a lot of what kind of west, north, east, south teams on a weekly basis, and I know where they stand on this, and I totally see where they stand on this. They will look at this as another year pulled back. They'll look at that as another year to they can't climb up the ladder. The promotion and relegations are shambles as it is, and I don't think I'm wrong. I, I know for a fact I'm right because everybody, every single person I speak to, agrees with me on this. You can't win a title and then go through a round robin to try and get up and up your up the league. That's a that's a shambles and only happens in Scottish football. That needs addressed first and foremost. I don't have an. I see the positives of having B teams in it. It works in other countries, but this is the problem. Scotland think. They can compare themselves. Scott, the big wigs at the SFA think they can compare themselves to likes of Germany and Spain, where this method works. Scotland aren't in that. Scotland aren't at that level. Now, I, I, I get you want to be at that level. Denmark, Croatia, yeah, maybe what's to a degree there, but it's there's not as many clubs. There's, we're talk, we're hearing this week as well. Someday in the up north, wants uh, Ross County and Inverness to merge because there's, because there's too many clubs in the pyramid. So we're going to add more. Is that how we're going to do it? We're going to add more clubs to the pyramid that's already diluted with too many clubs as it is, and those clubs, somebody wants those clubs to merge. There's so many sh- problems in classic Scottish football. It just gets overcomplicated. I think there's two logical solutions to this. You either, as Graham says, and I agree with this method, bring back the reserve league players that haven't played. So here, here's an example for you, right? Here's something I want to address. Let's look at the teams that played this weekend in the Scottish Cup. So let's look at Hearts and Celtic and Rangers benches that bench that didn't come on, right? So on the bench for for Hearts and Celtic, let's just go through it. For Hearts, who didn't come on at the weekend, you would have Lewis Nielsen and Ross Stewart. That'd be the two players from Hearts. Celtic's players that didn't come on and set would play in this reserve league. David Turnbull, Scott Bain, Anthony Ralston, Alex Burnaby. That's four players. That how how beneficial would that be for young Celtic youth players to play alongside them? Say Celtic played Rangers, for example. Rangers is Rangers team. You would have players coming back from injury because Rangers have more players injured than any other club in world football. But Rangers, the players coming off Rangers bench, they didn't go on today. Ryan Jack, Glenn Kamara, Scott Wright, John McLaughlin. Why are we not? Why did they get rid, rid of? I remember somebody telling me on on the pod they were playing at Celtic Youth and Paul Lambert was in the team for the reserve league. How beneficial is that playing with a Champions League winner? Do you know what I mean? That's what we could be having here, but instead we're fanning about with silly ideas to try and improve, to try and get Scotland to a level where they aren't at and they won't be at for a while. Scotland have only played at one major tournament in twenty five years. It's not the club. It's not that's not the fault of the clubs. That's the fault of everybody and the, the big wigs at the SFA. This idea is not going to change. Putting B teams in a tier five isn't going to put Scotland in a World Cup every four years. Is it? No. And as well, and the big big clubs no. fans might not like like me for this. The big clubs are in it for themselves. They do not care about any other club in Scottish football other than their own. So when Rangers and Celtic, Rangers and Celtic will be looking at this as a way to get their get their first get their youth players experience against as we call it harder players part time opposition who will give them a tough time. 
Leon King can play in a Champions League and then can go and play against Dobeti Star. That shouldn't be happening. That shouldn't be happening and it only ha- it would only happen in Scottish football. We knew this would be a shambles. We know that this is the only way this will work because the SPFL clubs won't vote it in. This needs to be an independent organisation. I could go on all day about this. I think it's just doomed. I think we'll be in a position in two years' time where it won't be, if it goes ahead, it won't be handled well. In two years' time, we'll be looking at more reconstruction instead of looking at actual reconstruction that suits all the clubs and instead of this shambles that we're left with for years and years because the big wigs at the SFA aren't good at their job. And I'm going to sign off on that. That's my closing statement. Is anybody else anything they want to add? No, not for me. Right. So we're finished, Graham? Conversation with, I have had this conversation with a couple of folks as well. I've genuinely believed this for a while, that when Hearts got demoted a few years ago, they had the perfect chance to have league reconstruction. Because for me, it does get stale. You're playing the same team four times a season, potentially six times a season. They had the chance to expand the league and didn't do it. This is the SFA we're talking about. They are not fit for purpose and they will never, ever be fit for purpose. They could have reconstructed the league ages ago and didn't do it. Yeah. And again, we're just left in that position where we're talking about we should be to the pyramid system. I thought was a good idea. And a lot of clubs have been speaking to me and they're going, Why? Have we, what was the point in us signing off if, we're just, if it's going to take us another year? They're, they're right. And that's where the issue is right now. And again, just hopefully we get some sort of... Because there's no clarity. That's the problem as well. There's no clarity. It's all in-house. Nobody really gets a say. It's all going to be done. It's all going to get pushed through because if if the SPL and the SFA have one talent, it's pushing things through that are bad ideas. It always seems to get forced through. And we'll be at that stage again. And we are going to wrap up the show there. It's turned into a bit of a ranty episode. probably my fault. It absolutely is my fault. Uh, I want to thank our guests for this week. First of all, it's been a pleasure, Graham Duffy. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me on, mate. A pleasure again. Brilliant. And Mitchell Fagans. Mitchell, best of luck. Best of luck tomorrow night. Hope the nerves aren't too much. It's been a pleasure having you on. Thank you. Yeah, thanks very much, Scott. Thank Brilliant you. to be on, and hopefully, hopefully we get the job done tomorrow. I hope you do as well. Thank you very much, everyone. Tuned in. Please follow us on social media for consistent Scottish football coverage. And for our YouTube and podcast channels, please hit the subscribe button. And if you're into the Cheltenham Festival this week, then you have got a lot of content to look forward to. Look out for our Cheltenham Festival preview show that dropped on Sunday night. And as well, we'll have a column every morning at 9.30am where we'll have all the selections for the day's race. And thanks very much. We'll see you soon. Cheers. Cheers.